As we continue in our worship this morning, we're going to be continuing in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 5. If you want to turn in your copy of God's Word to join me there, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5. Last week, as you may recall, we looked at this, we began to look at this chapter and had a message on what elders are. This week, we are considering what elders do. You may recall from last week what elders are. They're spiritually mature men who are given as leadership grace gifts by Jesus to build up the church for the work of ministry. And we're happy to be a part of that and supporting these missionaries uh, around the world who are seeking to be a part of that as we're a part of it as a local expression of God's body here today. Elders are the leaders in the church who pastor, shepherd, and oversee the flock of God. That's what elders do. Shepherds do what sheep need. If you think about sheep, sheep are vulnerable. They need to be protected. That's what shepherds do. They protect sheep. Also, sheep need to eat. They need to be provided for. Shepherds provide protection and pasture. Sheep also need guidance. They don't always know where to go. So shepherds, graciously given by God, protect and provide by providing guidance and leadership for the sheep. So what has God designed elder shepherds to do? He has designed them to do what sheep need. Namely, protect, provide, and guide. And elders, as shepherds, are valuable to God. They're valuable to God because his sheep are vulnerable, and they're also valuable to him. If shepherds are defective, the flock will be harmed. God cares about his shepherds and his sheep. Sheep need protection, provision, and guidance especially amidst suffering, as is the context of First Peter and even our own lives. So let's look at First Peter 5, 1 through 4, to see what God's word says about what elders do. The word of God reads, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your word, which you have spoken to us. We pray that we would hear it. We pray that we would understand it. We pray that you would give us a greater knowledge of what elder, shepherd, pastor, overseers are, and that you would help us in understanding them better to live in a way that is most faithful to what your word instructs us concerning these things, to consider ourselves as your sheep, to consider your grace and how you demonstrate your grace through your under-shepherds as the chief shepherd. I pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted above all as his word is preached now. Help me to do that for the glory of your name, even now, and for the joy of all your people. Amen. Let's consider for a moment the circumstances of God's flock in First, Pe First Peter. These, ship, these sheep were being attacked by fiery trials of fiery words. They were suffering by being insulted and excluded from society. They needed to be protected from the world's word by being taught God's word. They needed to be provided truth while the world was only feeding them lies. They needed to be guided to holy joy and not fleeting worldly passions. They needed to be reminded of their 
superior certain hope in Jesus Christ so that they wouldn't put their hope in lesser fading things. And they needed an example to follow. And as we've seen throughout this epistle, Peter teaches us that Jesus is this example. And you can see him in his word as you read about him. But this text also tells us that elders are example. We don't only see Jesus Christ's example in his word, we're to see it in his leadership, which he has placed over God's flock as well. So that that flock can be sanctified by seeing Jesus in his word and in his leaders. Peter here is exhorting elders as a fellow elder with a confident fear and hope in the Lord. He's being an example of what he's calling these men to be an example of. His words stir up courage. They remind of fearing the one who suffered for you. They remind of the hope that is enjoyed now and is going to be revealed that is Jesus Christ. His words remind you to orient your life toward him when everything in life seems disorienting. Peter is doing exactly what he's calling his fellow elders to do. Shepherd. Look at verse 2, for example, as we are considering what elders do. This is what elders do according to verse 2. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. You may remember from last week how elder is the job title. Shepherd and oversee is their job description. That's what they do. And one helpful, memorable way to sum up and recall what elders do is found in three words that we're going to consider together. That is protect, provide, guide. It kind of alliterates and it kind of rhymes. It does both. It's got double duty. So protect, provide, guide. Let's start with that word protect. How do elders shepherd by protecting the flock of God? Well, first they know the sheep. They model Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus' under-shepherds are to know who is in their flock, and the flock is to know who their shepherds are. There is a knowing and a seeking to be known relationship that gives somebody the benefit and blessing of Jesus' shepherding care in their life. One of the ways that this is practically accomplished in a church body is through what we call church membership. What, what is church membership? Well, church membership is a formal commitment to unite with an identifiable local body of believers who have joined together for specific divinely ordained purposes. We see this modeled in the early church. You can think through the book of Acts. Uh, they kept count. Uh, in Acts 2.41 it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, how did they know how many there were? They counted them. And the Lord added to their number, it goes on to say, and in Acts 4 it says the number of the men came to about 5,000. The early church counted the people who were part of the church. They kept Role. You also see this in 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, where Paul instructing Timothy on how to order things in the church. He says, a, lido, a, wi a widow, he gives some qualifications for what a real widow is, and he says, a widow is to be put on the list. The church had a list of who the sheep were that they were to take care of. Also, church membership is implied by the church leader's responsibility and the responsibility that the people have to the church leadership. This is explicit in the text that we just read, where it says leaders are to shepherd the flock of God among you. That's their responsibility. They have a responsibility for the sheep, which means they need to know who they are so that they can care for them. Hebrews 13, 17 uh, implies both the responsibility of leaders and the sheep. Listen to Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So the church leader is responsible to answer to Jesus Christ for you. He needs to know who the sheep are so he can answer to Jesus for every single one of them, which implies the responsibility, which is actually explicit in that verse, of the sheep obeying their leaders and submitting to them so that they can have the benefit of their souls being overseen by Jesus's shepherding care. Also, church discipline necessitates church membership. Uh, you can't formally remove somebody from a church who has never formally been committed to it. You can't carry out the loving act of pleading with somebody to be reconciled to Christ if you can't help them to see through the church discipline process that they're actually severed from Christ and need to be reconciled to him. I think also of the one another commands in scripture. The one another commands in scripture demand the concept of church membership. We're to be devoted to one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, to stimulate uh, love and good deeds toward one another, confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another. Uh, these one another commands imply church membership. Also, the church metaphors illustrate it. Think about how the church is talked about in Scripture. It's the family of God. It's the body of Christ. The church is the temple of God. Church membership is a way to administer Jesus's shepherding care of his sheep. It's a way for the sheep to identify themselves with a flock. It's a way for shepherds to know who it is that they're caring for. Jesus says in John 10, read for us this morning, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Shepherds are men after God's own heart. They, they want to know his sheep. They want to lay down their life for the sheep. And having a church membership role provides them a tool to help them to carry out that task. They can identify, these are the sheep that I'm accountable to Jesus Christ for. These are the ones that I'm ministering to, I'm shepherding and caring for as Christ has commissioned shepherds to do. Shepherds are able to protect the sheep when they know who the sheep are that they're to protect. Shepherds have a flock, a flock to protect, but they also have to have a fence to protect them within. So at this point, we've talked about the flock, church membership. Well, let's consider the fence that shepherds are to use in protecting the flock. A fence is a mechanism which protects a flock by keeping some things in and other things out. And every fence involves at least two things, supplies and a strategy. You want to have both of those. If you're missing one of them, you got a problem. Supplies and strategy. Well, let's start with talking about the supplies, the fence post and the fencing material. In 2 Timothy 1, 13 to 14, God's word reads, follow the pattern of sound words. You know, think about your fence post here. They're set out in a pattern. Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The fence post set the pattern that the fence is to follow. And the pattern of sound words that shepherds are to protect the sheep with are found in the authority of Scripture alone. Scripture gives us the fence. And throughout history, the pattern of sound words has been handed down to us through various creeds and confessions and statements of faith. For example, we saw in a previous message how the Nicene Creed guarded the scriptural teaching that Jesus is one substance with the Father, protecting from the heresy of saying 
that he was merely of similar substance. It kept the truth in and a lie out. We consider creeds, confessions, and statements of faith as usable fence supplies that we have inherited as stewards today. But when we use those tools, we have to make sure they're flush with Scripture. Scripture is the ultimate authority. And where those documents follow the pattern of sound words, we are blessed by the work of men in the past. The supplies for the fence protect sound doctrine, but the strategy of how you lay out the, the fence protects people by having some practice, some strategy to use that teaching. Now, you know you can have a sturdy fence that's a mile long, but if you don't lay it out in a way that it keeps some things in and other things out, wolves can go in and out of it all day long. You have to have a sound strategy for sound fencing materials. The sound strategy is often labeled as a philosophy of ministry. The philosophy of ministry is the strategy of how you're going to carry out particular doctrine that is believed within a body of believers. A philosophy of ministry answers questions like these. What is the nature of the Lord's Day gathering? What is the purpose of the gathering? What are the ordinances and how are they to be administered? What is the goal and purpose of music on the Lord's Day? What is the place of preaching and how does it demonstrate and communicate God's authority? What is the priority and heart posture of prayer within a worship service? How should discipleship be carried out within a church? How can church leadership faithfully carry out knowing and giving an account for all who are entrusted to them? How is a church to think about and be involved in evangelism? A good fence requires good supplies paired with a good strategy. It's paired with having sound doctrine and sound practice. Sound supplies and sound strategy. Statements of not only what a church believes, but how they're going to practice those beliefs. And note that it's not the elders who make the fence. God gives them the fence through his word. And he also gives them the wisdom to apply that fence to the flock which he has entrusted to them from that same word. The word is central in all of our worship within the church. Well, we've considered the word protect. Let's move on to consider also the word provide. How do shepherds provide for the flock? They feed the flock on the pure milk of the word, which Peter has commanded us to long for. Or as Paul put it in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Shepherds shepherd the flock by preaching the word. Well, what if it's not popular or longed for? Paul still says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. But what if they don't respond quickly to the reproof and the rebuke and the exhortation? It says, do it with complete patience and teaching. And think about Jesus' example. Think about how, how much patience and teaching he had with this guy Peter. That is the example of how much patience and teaching is required of God's under-shepherds. The task of the elder shepherd is to preach the word and as Peter has already stated, shepherd the flock to care for them, to preach the word and shepherd the flock. Elders preach and they shepherd by the food of God's sufficient word. And they seek to be examples of how to live by it. So in summary, elders provide for the sheep by preaching the word and shepherding the flock. And in doing this, they protect them, they provide for them, and they guide them. Which brings us to the word guide. Protect, provide, and guide. In 1 Timothy 5, 
17, Paul echoes these same truths with some different words. 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Again, we see the whole shepherding responsibility being broke down into two things, ruling and teaching, superintending a flock and teaching them, or preaching and shepherding, as we've already considered. Isn't it amazing that we can say that the Lord is my shepherd, but we can also see him do that in real life through real flesh and blood shepherds. It's not just some mystical, invisible sort of thing. We can see his shepherds. He shepherds through real people. I, for one, am thankful that Jesus has given me shepherds who not only keep a close watch on their own life and teaching, but they keep a close watch on my life and teaching. All of us need shepherds to guide us, to protect us from wrong teaching and wrong practice, to provide for us right teaching and right practice, and to continually guide us in the right teaching and right practice of God's word in all of our life. It's not something that we can do independent of the church, which is a point that I think is made in uh, the entire book of First Peter. All of the yous are y'alls. There are no singular yous. So when you read it, just put the y'alls in there. It'll make a little more sense. You know, we work out our faith in a body uh, with others where we are a y'all together. Shepherds protect, they provide, and they guide. And this text also addresses the heart of elders, what their heart is supposed to be. Let's look at what the heart is of elders in doing what they're called to do. We see this in picking back up in verse 2. So this would be 2b through verse 3. Peter writes that they do their task not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here we have three descriptions of the heart of shepherd overseers. They are to be willing, eager examples. Peter does not merely address the task of shepherding Jesus' lambs, but he also addresses their heart and he reminds them of the manner that they're to carry out their task with so that people can see what Jesus is like through them so that they can see Jesus's love for them through them and his instruction helps us to guard against sinful tendencies either to abuse authority or to neglect its proper use the first description that we're considering here is the word willing they do this task not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Think about how nobody has to force God to love his sheep. He loves them because he loves them. And it should be so of his under shepherds. They should see that kind of love in them and through them. Elders are to share God's glorious heart of willingly loving his people. Now men as we know, look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Jesus' under-shepherds are men after his own heart. They enjoy his love and want to make his love, protection, provision, and guidance known to others. They example Jesus. Jesus, who when he saw sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion for them. Timothy Whitmer, in his book, The Shepherd Leader, this is a book as an elder board we've been reading together. Uh, you could read it also if you wanted to. It's called The Shepherd Leader by Timothy Whitmer. In that book he writes, Jesus' concern for the ongoing care of his sheep was clearly seen as he walked through the cities and villages of Galilee. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd, as it says in Matthew 9. He not only saw their condition and their need, 
but he solved the cause of the problem. As Ezekiel and Jeremiah connected, connected the weakened condition of the Israelites with the failure of the elders to shepherd the flock. Jesus also pointed out the absence of proper shepherds. It is not simply human need that moves Jesus, but their predicament as a flock not properly led. The heart, attitude, and manner of a shepherd is not, well, I guess I'll do it if nobody else is going to. I, I guess I just have to do it because nobody else is. Rather, the heart of a shepherd is, these are God's sheep, and they need to be cared for. God, please use me to show your willingness to shepherd all of your sheep. Help me to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Please, God, show your people how you love them through me. When I think of willing shepherds, I think of a man named Chris Hamilton, who was the head of the elder board at my previous church. And I remember his example of willingness when he explained to a, a class of being trained shepherds. He said, men, as a lay elder, I work as a forensic accountant for many hours of the week. But understand this, though I have a job, I am a full-time elder. I go to work to rest. But my real task in life is to shepherd the flock of God. That man did not shepherd the flock under compulsion. He did it willingly. And his life was a simultaneous rebuke and encouragement to me. It rebuked my low view of the church, but it encouraged me to look at God's flock with God's heart. The second description that we find in God's word here that we're going to consider is the word eagerly. The shepherd's heart attitude is that they do their task not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elders don't oversee the sheep because they think they can get something out of it. They think, well, I'll have status. People will like me. I can be prominent among a people. I could have reputation or goods or whatever. Shepherds are not to be like the TV evangelist hucksters which bring all sorts of reproach upon the visible church because of their visible and apparent greed. Rather, they're to do it with a, an attitude that says, I want to do this for the benefit of others. They're not looking for benefit for themselves. They're just looking to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to show other people what it looks like to lay down their lives for the sheep. They just want to serve, whether they get anything out of it or not, whether it's recognized or not. They're content to serve without earthly reward. The third description that we're going to consider is the word examples. As God's word reads that they do their task not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. John Calvin comments on this verse, saying, It was for this that Ezekiel condemned the false prophets, that is, that they ruled cruelly and tyrannically. Christ also condemned the Pharisees because they laid intolerable burdens on the shoulders of the people which they would not touch, no, not with a finger. This imperious rigor, then, which ungodly pastors exercise over the church cannot be corrected except their authority be restrained so that they may rule in such a way as to afford an example of a godly life. An elder can only be an example to others if he can be seen. An elder exercises oversight by being in sight. There's a word to be heard from him and a life to be seen. An example. And elders aren't to fall off the horse into the ditch of authoritarianism without compassion or the other ditch of compassion without authority. Both errors result in falling off of the horse, which is not, is not good. Elders 
are not to try to manipulate guilt or intimidate, not be domineering. They're to lead by example. They don't try to guilt people into meeting ministry goals that they've developed personally in their minds. They don't try to make their conscience on an issue everybody else's Bible. Their shepherding task is that of a ministerium, not a magisterium, of being servants, not kings. An elder is to be an example to the flock. We see this in other language in Scripture, like when Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. They don't just say, imitate me, but they also show people how to imitate Christ. They don't bully people, but rather they seek to bolster living for Jesus by living like Jesus. Timothy Whitmer writes, there will always be leaders in the church. The issue is whether they are the leaders called and gifted by God to shepherd his flock or those who push themselves forward so that they can push others around. Elders aren't those who push others around, but rather they're ones who seek to be a godly example to follow. An elder also, and not being domineering, but rather being an example, doesn't require others to do things that he's not committed to. As an example, what if an elder persuaded you to commit to a being a regular part of a weekly prayer meeting? Now let's say that he was there, but when you weren't there, he only had passive-aggressive snide comments about how he was there and you weren't. Or let's flip that around and let's say that you went to this prayer meeting that he exhorted you to be a part of, but you never saw him there. He would be lacking an example of living out what he's calling others to do, both being passive-aggressive and not being willing to do what one is calling others to do fails to be a proper example. It, it fails to show the heart of our loving God to his flock to not only call them to live for him, but to show them how to live for him. An elder who wishes that people would do things that he is unwilling to do inevitably ends up trying to guilt or manipulate other people into doing those things. And in this way, ends up being a harmful influence on the flock and missing the mark of the loving care exampled by Christ, the Good Shepherd. But if he is an example to the flock, his benefit through the flock will be through that relationship. I remember last week we talked about relational influence. You know, leadership happens not because, just because somebody has a position of leadership, but that influence is through relationship. An elder's life and teaching is meant to influence the sheep toward greater godliness. In a faithful elder, you'll have in him what Paul exhorted in Timothy, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You will have for yourself a faithful shepherd who provides faithful teaching that corrects wrong thinking, but you'll also have a faithful life which corrects unfaithful living but shows you how you could live faithfully. In Ezekiel 34, that was the text that was read last week in our scripture reading. In Ezekiel 34, God warns shepherds who were failing to protect, provide, and guide his flock. They were feeding themselves, but not the flock. They neglected to strengthen the weak and to heal the sick. The sheep were scattered, and the sheep, and the shepherds wouldn't gather the sheep. And what happens when shepherds fail to do uh, what they're called to do? Well, the sheep become frustrated. They become discouraged when they don't receive the care which the Lord requires of shepherds. Shepherds are to not feed themselves, but to feed the flock properly. Now, if you try to nourish a growing boy on the milk of his first years when he needs meat, you're going to end up exasperating the boy and impacting his health. 
Shepherds need to be able not only to tenderly serve milk, but also grill some meat, which we know that we have one that can do that. When the church is ready for more advanced nutrition and delving into the tastier stuff, shepherds need to be ready to prepare those kinds of meals. They are servants of such after all. But as we know, sometimes under-shepherds fail. They ought not to fail like those in Ezekiel 34, but all shepherds are sinners. They will fail at times. But God's shepherding will never fail. That's an important reminder that we find in Ezekiel 34, and we'll be considering more later how Jesus is the chief shepherd. His under-shepherds fail, but God doesn't fail. He will shepherd his sheep. He will protect them from the domineering, and he will provide them examples who are worthy of imitation. There's some observations that I've wrote down for fellow elders, which I want to address here because this is a text which is exhorting fellow elders. So observations for fellow elders. We need to, as Acts 20, 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. 1 Timothy 4.16 Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Titus 1.9 He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Or in Colossians 1.28, where Paul gives his philosophy of ministry, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. As elders, we serve Jesus Christ in light of the cross. It was there that he accomplished our redemption. His life and death shows us what ministry is. It's laying down your life for the sheep. And just as being a shepherd doesn't negate being a sheep, being a leader doesn't dismiss being a servant. As elders, we are shepherded, shepherding shepherds. Shepherded, shepherding shepherds. Or in more simple terminology, servant leaders. We are called to make it our aim to please him by being servant leaders. Well, there's also some observations for the sheep to be found in this text. Why has God given you shepherds? It's because he cares for you. The good shepherd shows his love for you by placing under shepherds over you. He cares for you. He ransomed you with his precious blood and you belong to him. He is committed to caring for you. God sees your need for shepherding, and he's pleased to provide it, not in some mystical, invisible, difficult-to-discern fashion, but through real flesh and blood shepherds, through real people. Also, the shepherding and oversight of your life by elders is God's will. This is God's idea. This is his word that I'm Preaching. This is God's idea for how he has ordered uh, leadership and structure within his church. This implies a responsibility upon us. All of us are, are sheep. I'm, I'm speaking as a simultaneous shepherd and sheep at the moment. But we, we all ought to seek to be known by our shepherds. 
and to know them as well, as much as we can. We should also seek to be fed. We should seek to be subject, to place ourselves in a, an attitude of willingly following and honoring the leaders that God has providentially placed over us. Uh, we ought to desire to hear Jesus' voice through them and follow him. These ideas help us understand that God has gifted his church with leadership for the sake of his followership. Because God cares about his followership, he gives them leadership so that when he says, follow me, there's under shepherds there to help them in following the chief shepherd. When God's guidance for his church is embraced and practiced, it brings him glory. And that's our aim, ultimately. We're hearing these things from God's word and we're asking, God, what have you instructed us to do concerning church leadership, concerning understanding shepherds and sheep so that we can follow you and enjoy your will and bring glory to you? Because the best thing for us is to follow your instruction and we follow your instruction because we love you and we love you because you first loved us. Also in considering observations for the sheep, recognize that, again, this is God's instruction for his church, but also recognize that your elders are accountable to God. May that strike not only fear in their heart, but in your heart as well, and may it bring you to, to pray for them. If they're to keep a close watch on their life and teaching, then we ought to be praying for their living and teaching, to pray for their holiness, to pray for their growth in the knowledge of God's word, to pray for their example so that we can have an example to follow. Again, as it says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let, do, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. One of the most encouraging things that I ever hear from anyone here is that you're praying for us. You're praying for me or you're praying for all the elders. I'm thankful to God for you that you are a praying people. And I'm thankful to God that you tell me that you're praying for me. Because sometimes I don't know. But then you tell me. I'm like, they're praying for me. And that's why that thing happened this week. It's because people are praying and God is at work. Well, at this point, we've considered what elders do and the heart with which they do what they do. They protect, provide, and guide as willing, eager examples. Shepherds protect, provide, guide as willing, eager examples. But moving on to verse 4, we learn something about the chief shepherd and the reward that elders receive. Elders are under shepherds. That's implied by referring to Jesus as the chief shepherd. And while under shepherds oversee the flock, they're also part of the flock. Uh, they smell like sheep because they're around the sheep and they are a sheep. And those shepherds also need to be shepherded as does every church member. Elders are accountable to the one who delegates the overseeing task to them. They will answer to the chief shepherd concerning how they shepherd the flock. And Jesus, as his word teaches us, is the chief shepherds. Under shepherds have no authority. I have no authority. Romans 13, 1 clearly states, there is no authority except from God. But God delegates his authority through various governing institutions. Uh, we have discussed this in the past in considering the spheres of God's authority being delegated through civil government, family government, and church government, which is our focus at this moment. Jesus delegates his spiritual authority in the church through elders. There's a relationship between those overseeing and those who are being overseen. 
And the focus of church government is on doctrine and practice. It's on the doctrine and practice of the church. Church government is focused on the flock and the fence, caring for the sheep and protecting them with what is right doctrine, protecting them from wrong doctrine and having a strategy to carry that out. Their practice. Elder authority is limited to what God has instituted it to do through his word. So all the authority is in, it's from God and it's in his word. They teach, elders teach and protect the truth of God's word handed down to them. They example and protect holy living in the church. Elder authority, as we've seen in this text, is a ministry of compelling, not coercing. They're not domineering, they're examples. They compel, they don't coerce. Now, while civil government is ordained as God's servant with a coercive protective ministry, that is why they have a sword, the church is not given a sword. They're given keys. The church government is ordained also as God's servant. Both of these are called God's servant, and they're to be ministers of God's law to God's people. But church government is ordained as God's servant to compel people by the mercies of God to give their lives as a living sacrifice to him. They don't coerce with the sword by force or intimidation. Their authority is built on precept and example to which the church gladly submits. Church government is a sphere of God's delegated authority which is limited to compelling people unto right doctrine and practice. Thus, elders have no delegated authority to rule over things specific to family government. For example, around the world, some churches have required that congregants be vaccinated in order to gather for worship. That is a decision delegated to family government, not church government or civil government for that matter. Elders have no authority to make family health decisions. Elder authority is restricted to doctrine and practice, God's word and God's ways, his truth and his manner of life because truth is for life where the learning is for living. Elders are under the authority and direction of the good shepherd himself and his good law word. They are responsible to look to God's word for wisdom and direction in shepherding God's flock. God's word governs the church through elders and not the other way around. Timothy Whitmer writes, therefore, the exercise of authority in the church must always be grounded in the scriptures. And conversely, it loses its legitimacy when it calls those under its care to ignore, contradict, or contravene the truth found therein. Elder authority is all about the learning and living of God's word. It is an authority which is entrusted to them by Christ himself. And it's not shared with civil government or family government. And a church thrives when it recognizes its role and responsibility within the limits of doctrine and practice. Elders oversee the doctrine and practice of the church, which Christ has prescribed in his word. And Peter motivates his fellow elders to this ministry by reminding them of the promise of the reward of an unfading crown of glory. You run the race better when your eye is on the prize. Sometimes you get distracted from being useful because all you can think about is the displeasure of the, the, co the coach if you happen to trip or fall or mess up along the way but you're encouraged when you know you're going to get your reward and that your reward can't be taken away. It can't expire, it can't die, it can't lose its beauty. Peter is reminding us here 
that your reward is being kept in heaven for you by God through faith. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, your perception of that unfading crown might change because you're looking down instead of straight ahead sometimes. Don't look at your feet. Look at the prize. The way that a little child looks at dad when he gets home. Everything else around them disappears. All they can see is their loving father and they just run. Fellow elders, never lose the childlike faith that sees your heavenly father's steadfast love and rejoices to run to him. Just look to him and run. If you see him in the boat and you hear his voice, no, you don't have to wait for him to come to the shore. You can swim out and meet him and dry off over a fish taco breakfast later. What a blessing and what a privilege and what a help to know your place and your function in the world, to know what lane you're in when you're running the race, what field you're supposed to harvest. Every race and harvest comes with a reward. Elders, you will receive your reward. It is an unfading crown of glory. So train and run, plant and harvest. And considering Peter's reference to the chief shepherd, I want to consider here what is the chief characteristic of the chief shepherd. So what comes to mind? You can holler it out if you're so bold. What is the chief characteristic of the chief shepherd? Love. If you guessed love, you guessed right. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how he demonstrates his love. It's how under shepherds also are to display their love. As Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the example of Jesus. It's to be the example of his under shepherds who imitate the chief shepherd, that others would imitate their imitation of the chief shepherd by watching the under shepherds through the love of a laid down life for others. Was that easy to follow there or is that like too many carts on the train? Basically, we just look to Jesus wherever we can see him and follow him. That's how it works. Albert Martin is uh, a pastor who has, a, uh, has had a lot of influence on me. He has a three-volume set of books called Pastoral Theology, and in that he writes, if there is not a growing measure of unfeigned love for our people, a love that they can read in our demeanor and perceive in our interaction with them in and out of the pul pulpit, we are impoverished and unfit to serve them as the servants of Christ. We also greatly misrepresent the chief shepherd without this increasing measure of love. With it, we are a real and life-giving reflection of the disposition of the savior and shepherd of the sheep. What an exciting prospect this is for us to reflect him and for the sheep to receive him. Jesus is the one whom elders serve, and he is our reward. As stated in 2 Corinthians 5, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This term, unfading crown of glory, connects to one particular verse in the First Testament. It's Isaiah 28, 5. 
Peter is referencing Isaiah 28, 5, which reads, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory. So when he asks the question, well, what is the unfading crown of glory? The Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory. Jesus is the reward, a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. It's an unfading wreath of glory, a reward that never wears out, that is the most beautiful and will always be the most beautiful forever. This is such an encouragement to, re to remember that because your crown doesn't fade, you don't have to fade in running the race. Jesus is the author and finisher of the race that he's put us in. I mean, where else can we run? He alone has the words of eternal life. I like what Albert Martin writes here also. He speaks of being a shepherd and says, Oh Lord Jesus, I did not put myself here. You put me here. This is not a demand on my frail humanity, but a demand on your grace. Jesus is the one who calls elders. He's also the one who equips elders. And he's also the reward for elders and all believers as well. Jesus will build his church through his shepherds. And then he's going to reward them for doing it. He's going to reward them with himself for doing it. So he does the work and then he gives them a reward. That's gracious. Amazing grace. Under shepherds, love the chief shepherd. And they show their love for him by protecting, providing, and guiding the flock of God by laying down their lives for him and for them. This is a lesson that Peter learned and he lived and he exhorts fellow elders with today. You remember the story when they had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray together as music team comes forward to lead us in the song, He Leadeth Me. Jesus, you are our good shepherd in life and in death. You are our only hope in life and death, and you are the resurrection. Though we may die, we will rise to eternal life with a body like yours to have fellowship with you forever and ever. Thank you that you have placed over us under shepherds as a way to bring your protective, providing, guiding care into our lives. We pray that for our leadership that this would develop in us a, a deep humility and a continual focus of our sights on you that we might display you so that others might see you in us, that the reflection of you would be seen in your people, that we would see Christ in one another and be strengthened to follow him as you lead us by showing us Christ, not only through prayer, but also your word, also through fellowship, also through 
your providence in every aspect of life and also as we joyfully give our obedience to you and as we stand and sing that you are the great shepherd who leads us. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.